Hello, this is episode 250. 250, woohoo! And in it, I am speaking with Derek Layfield, who is the managing director of Dura Panel. Now, if you've not heard of Dura Panel, this and the next episode, they're going to be fantastic for you because we're diving into what Dura Panel is and how to use it in your renovation or new build. In short, though, Dura Panel is a densely compressed straw building panel that's used in a huge range of projects globally. It's made in Australia. It's incredibly sustainable, durable, highly fire resistant building material, and it's also fully recyclable and biodegradable. I am really excited to be bringing Derek onto the podcast for this and for our next episode. So stay tuned because we're going to be discussing all the ways that you can work with DuraPanel and what you need to know about it for your project. Now, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus all the information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 250. That's the numbers 250. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers, and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses, and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building, and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Before we dive into my conversation with Derek, let me take a minute to introduce him to you. So Derek Layfield is the Managing Director of DuraPanel, a truly sustainable and Australian-owned business. Derek actually joined Stramet Industries as a junior cadet in 1979 before purchasing the company's manufacturing facility and technology rights to their product Stramet Board in 1991. And the product was rebranded as DuraPanel and for more than 30 years Derek has re-engineered and manufactured DuraPanel in regional Victoria from waste wheat straw sourced locally from Australian farmers. 
Derek is passionate about changing the way the world thinks about building and by speaking transparently about Durapanel's cradle-to-cradle life cycle, he hopes to educate about the natural carbon cycle, highlighting greenwashing within the building industry and encouraging people to choose truly sustainable building materials. Derek's enthusiasm for sustainability and responsible manufacturing has led to Durapanel being used in airports, schools, stadiums, industrial facilities, offices and homes across Australia and the world. This is a really great conversation. It's a, These episodes are a little bit longer. I wanted to make sure that we covered a lot of the detail so you can learn a lot about this building material because I think it's 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 amazing all right so I wanted to make sure that we really dived into it now as a reminder you can download a free pdf transcript of this episode all the resources and links that we mentioned by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 250 I also have a sample that I'll put some video footage on so you can just see me playing with a sample and get a sense of sort of what it feels like and and you can learn a little bit more about it because I think when you hear something's made of straw, compressed straw and it's covered in paper, which is what Durapanel is, you'll have all sorts of connotations but just have a listen and listen to the incredible benefits of this product, the durability, how it performs and how tested and, and tried it actually is in applications so far beyond residential projects that need so much more performance than residential projects do. And it's been getting used there for so long. It's really exciting to be sharing more information with you about Durapanel and you learning more about it. So we're going to kick off our conversation hearing more about Derek's background and then we're going to dive into hearing about the benefits of Durapanel in building and renovating. Well, Derek, it's fantastic to bring you onto the Undercover Architect podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation a lot. I'm super excited to be sharing you and your panel with the Undercover Architect community. It's something that I know inside my Home Method uh, member group, we've talked about your panel a lot. We've been seeing it on projects like um, Yost Backer's Future Food System project and seeing it around the traps, really excited about how we can um, potentially use it in our homes. So I know it's going to be amazing to uh, be talking more about your product its applications and its benefits to the undercover architect community. I'm really, really excited to have you here. So can we just kick off maybe with you telling us a little bit about yourself, how Durapanel came to be, what your background is? I know people will find that really interesting. Okay. Look, I, I try not to bore people, but it, it does go back a long time. Um, uh, my first job when I was a kid, you know, like 24 years of age was... Um, as a cadet with a public company, Stramit Industries, which was at 96 uh, Franklin Street in Melbourne. And the technology was first introduced into Australia out of Sweden back in the 50s by a gentleman by the name of John Hobart. And he introduced the technology through a licensing agreement out of Sweden, which was born out of the necessity to make building panels after the Second World War because there were supply chain interruptions, shortages of raw materials, people needed to build shelter, didn't know what to do. And out of necessity, some really brilliant guy came up with the uh, idea of making a construction panel out of a wasted material, which they were burning, and that was wheat straw stubble, and to make loosely compacted panels out of it. And that technology came into Australia in the 50s, and um, it was uh, located in Bendigo, Victoria. 
And that's where the birthplace of the product came. And I was working at uh, Franklin Street when I was 24 years of age and uh, as a cadet getting a chairman's lunch, as I remember. <laughs> and uh, was fortunate enough for the public company then, Stramit Industries, um, to train me in all aspects of, of the product, the technology, uh, over my working life uh, until I sort of reached my mid-30s. And uh, that was when we uh, had a recession we had to have under Paul Keating back in those time, times. And uh, the technology was uh, transferred to uh, Lionel Krongold. He bought it, became KH, Strummer. Um, I formed Ortec Industries in 1991 as a contract company. I left the uh, organisation to form Ortec. And uh, we specialised in contract installation of um, the compressed drawboard panel Stramit board back then. And we were using it to do school buildings, put the lid on school buildings, uh, uh, housing, all the roofs and ceiling systems for housing all over the sand belt area of Bow Morris. Um, you know, we, you know, we employed a lot of people back then as a contracting organisation. And, uh, and we had that tough time under uh, the uh, Labor government back then. And, um, Lionel was having some issues with uh, keeping things going and um, BTR Nilex came in to buy the whole operation Bendigo. And I thought, well, gee, we're probably your biggest customer. Um, what about, you know, we made an offer to buy it. And that was in 1991. So um, we've been in control of the technology since 1991. And when I bought it back then, we set about re-engineering it. Um, it's fair to say that I understood the weaknesses of the product back then. It was quite loosely compacted. And uh, fortunately, I've got a fairly practical background and I was well-educated uh, through the Stramit Audit Organisation. And uh, I set about re-engineering it and making it a uh, more densely compacted core uh, using the naturally occurring polymer that's in the straw fibre, lignin, and using that to fuse a matrix together without any additional binding agents, just using heat and pressure to extrude it. And it's continuing development since the 1991 period of time to where the panel is today. And it's seen the product used in uh, commercial industrial applications, um, large projects like, you know, all over Brisbane Airport, Melbourne Airport, all, all sorts of big projects, commercial industrial, you know, all, all over that time. So. Um, now we're looking to say, well, okay, I look at it and say it was a product ahead of its time back then. It was a product from the future. Back then, nobody cared about the environment. No one cared. You know, it was, oh, we'll just dig up fossil fuels, we'll make petrochemical-based materials, and uh, it's all tickety-boo, you know. Don't worry about it later. But uh, now people are thinking about it, and they're recognising products like this that uh, are cradle-to-cradle. And uh, we've never had so much, uh, um, you know, uh, I guess, interest from residential marketplaces. How can I use this product? So I'm so happy to have the opportunity to ask questions, um, educate where we can and do whatever we can to, uh, here's where the panel can be used because we do have a lot of experience with it. Most, and I'm lucky enough to see it now. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm over 60. But um, we're a great young team that have come up well-trained and uh, you know, this will pass to the next generation to see it through. And uh, I, I'm wrapped to see it develop this way. 
Fantastic. Can you, you touched on how Jira panels made there. I'm wondering if you can go into it into a bit more detail just to explain to people what it's made from, where the products come from that go into it and, and how uh, in terms of where it's physically made so people can understand um, some of the supply and the lead time, um, uh, you know, provisions as well. Sure. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting product because uh, to make it, you've got to grow food, which is brilliant. White, have uh, wheat straw, rice, rice, sorry, wheat crop, rice crop, staple food sources all over the world to feed people. Now, at harvest time, you, you know, you grow your wheat. We'll talk about uh, wheat straw because that's what we predominantly use here in Australia and we can chat about what we do with technology transfers in other countries with rice straw later on. But uh, in the Australian situation, we're using wheat straw. And that's what's left after harvest. So you might have a crop in a wheat field growing this long. So the top bit goes off. That's your food. That's your grain. Okay. What's left is this bottom part that sits in the field. And we've all seen it driving through, you know, the, go through the Bendigo region, Sea Lake, all through those areas. You see, you know, squillions of hectares of, uh, of wheat stubble growing in fields. Now, it's interesting that. In Victoria, where you know, alone, there's 250,000 tonnes, 250,000 tonnes of wheat straw that's burned annually. Annually. Okay? Annually. Wow. Okay? That's just Victoria. Now, that releases 150,000 tonnes of carbon straight back into the atmosphere. Mm. Now, you know, Common sense says, well, could, could, could we do something about this? <laughs> could, could we be making fuel out of it? Could we be doing anything out of it? Could we be making paper out of it, you know, rather than chopping trees down to make paper? Couldn't we use straw? It's sitting there. It's a, it's, it's a renewable annual resource, for God's sake. Now, you know, for our part, you know, we do a, our small part is we, we take that material that we can use, okay, it, it gets cut down by a big a mower, and then it gets put into rows, that material, and then it gets put into big bales, big uh, square bales, and they probably weigh about 400, 450 kilograms a bale. And uh, we buy that material from the farmers. We say, well, look, don't burn your straw. We want to buy it. Okay. So we purchase that straw. We get about probably four tonnes of that material per hectare, generally speaking, on a reasonable year, sometimes more, sometimes less, you know, depending on that. There we go. But that's our, that's our basic raw material. And that comes generally within about a 60-kilometre radius of the Bendigo factory. So, you know, makes good sense not to be paying, you know, for diesel fuel and minimising diesel fuel. We get it as close as we can to, uh, to Bendigo. And that's a wonderful thing for the farmers. It's a wonderful thing for the communities because what they've been burning, okay, now it's all of a sudden it's a valuable resource. You know, uh, that's a terrific thing. So those big bales come to our factory. We put them on the start of our machine. It's a big, long machine. It's a, you know nearly 100 metres long. But it starts off as a bale of straw. That's a starting point. That sits on the machine. And then the process opens the bale up, sort of fluffs up the straw, for want of a better word. It cleans the straw fibre. Gets all the bits of rocks and dust and you know, weeds and things like that out of it. And then it moves slowly down the line 
through a vibratory sort of feeding process until it gets presented to a big, very heavy machinery, reciprocating ram, and the straw fibres are forced between heated platens. Big heated plates are about that thick. And in between those heated plates is a 50 millimetre, you know, two inch in the old scale gap. And we're forcing that fibre through that gap. And that gap has some special tapers inserted to it. It's very, different straw behaves differently under different sets of conditions. And fortunately, we've, we, we know how to do that. But there's a lot of IP that goes into this area of it because that's where the core is made. We use just heat and pressure. And under that sort of environment, we're producing steam within the straw because the straw's got a natural moisture content in it. So there's no, not an additive, no moisture additive. We're using a naturally occurring moisture at about 220 degrees Celsius. We work about 60 tonne pressure across our work face. So you can imagine it's a very hostile environment and we're effectively cooking that material. Now, under that environment, the straw fibre will give up lignin. Now, lignin is a natural polymer. And that is, that's basically the stuff that holds trees together. You know, and you see trees swaying in a breeze and you go, whoa, look at that. You know, the lignin's the material that's, that's holding that tree together. Lignin's the material that holds the straw up when you're looking at it and it's sitting, you know, up there waving around the breeze. If you didn't have lignin, you'd have, it'll fall over, you have no crops. <laughs> so the, the, the clever thing is with this technology and what we've enhanced, like, we've, like most good things in life, I mean, it, we've, we've taken a good idea and we've improved on it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I won't take the credit for it. The guy that thought about it or whoever thought about it at the start, they did the hard work. All I've done is work with people smarter than me. How can we do it better, you know? And where we've got it today, it's, you know, it's terrific material. Um, it's better, best quality I've ever seen. But anyway, we've made our call. <laughs> and, you know, the welcome you got to come to our factory to look at this because until you see it, it's difficult to, you know, appreciate the cores made, and then we encapsulate that core in a craft paper liner. It's a recycled paper. It's around about three hundred and thirty-five grams per square meter in weight. So the whole product extrudes out of the machine. It's continuous. It never stops moving from start to finish. So it comes out of our machine. I've got a little bit here. There's a little sample bit of it. Don't worry about the slot in it, but the, the, the finish on both sides is that craft paper liner. Yeah, I'll put a picture on on the on the website for those that are listening on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> very resilient material, and that's how it comes off the machine. As it moves down our line, it's cooling because remember it's made at two hundred and twenty degrees. So the process is cooling as it comes down, and then it enters another section in our line where we're actually cutting the product to length. And so that way we produce zero waste. And that's always our goal with everything we're doing. We don't want to produce waste. We, our process produces no toxic waste because there are no toxins in it. There's no additives whatsoever. So it comes down, we chop it to order length. We let it cool overnight because it's got to cool off. And then that next morning we package it together, band it, and it's ready to ship to our client. The ends, of, sorry, the ends of the panel, sorry, I missed the process there. The ends of the panel are sealed before they come off the line. So we, we cut it, 
there's an automatic machine on the line that, that puts a little seal across the panel to protect the ends. Okay, and that's either an aluminium end seal if we want to leave the panel outside or get it wet, we can do it with this aluminium with no paper backing on it. That aluminium can be recycled at the end of life. Or with residential use, generally, where the panels are coming in into a home, they're presented into a sealed, you know, weathertight home to be used as walls or ceilings or whatever they're going to be used for. Then we will just put generally put a paper end seal, same uh, craft line of finish as this, that just seals the ends of the panel. And that's basically the process. And so it's all being made to order then in terms of the, so the lead times you must be working to pretty, like obviously it's just how many orders you've got in front of you in regards to those lead times that you're offering. How do you find it sort of takes in terms of people ordering it and you being able to manufacture it? Well, the interesting part of it is we get 50 square metres of raw material per tonne. Sorry, 50 square metres of panel per tonne of raw material. We produce at a rate of 100 square metres per hour. Wow, okay. Okay. That's quite, that's quite efficient for a finished product that comes through and we come off on the truck. So lead times and things like that, it's not a huge issue for us. We can, we can put extra shifts on to deal with, which we do when we get uh, extra busy or we've got a big commercial industrial project on, we'll just put another shift on. But we, we are quite at lead time generally about one to two weeks when we receive details or what do you want us to make you? Gotcha. Yeah. No, it sounds, um, I love that it's all, it, it literally is that process of seeing the thing come in from the farm and it all just going, it's like some magic thing that it all just goes through one machine and, <laughs> and pops out the other end as the finished product. So, Well, people always say to me, like, yeah, yeah, I hear what you say, you know, you don't put the additives in it, yeah, but, but you do. And I go, no, we don't, you know, and uh you know, people pay a lot of people a whole lot of money, you know, or oh, get a tick box, oh, you haven't got any additives. Well, I said to people, I'm not getting, we're not putting ourselves in that box. We do, we've been doing this for years. We don't need to pay someone $100,000 a year to tick a box and uh, say, oh, well, you're a sustainable material. So come to our factory. Well, I want to educate you. I want you to see it. You know, our, our goal as an organisation is to see this technology go global, which it should. It's not, and it's not if, it's when it will. So... You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good technology for the world. Yeah. And it's exciting too to be capturing something that's naturally occurring in the material to be that binding factor. I was learning during the week that apparently there's only five polymers in nature, whereas humans require 350 polymers to make all of the things. So nature's figured out how to keep things really simple. And we're seeing in lots of different industries, uh, materials and products starting to look at how is nature simplifying things sufficiently that we can too, so that we can not be putting so much toxicity into the things that we make. So It's so true. You've hit, you've hit the nail right on the head, Amelia. The more processed a food is, the worse it is for us. Yeah. The, you know, the less processed our shelter is, the things that we put ourselves in, we live in, you know, the better they are for us, for God's sake. You know, it's all, it's all just there. It's, it's just so obvious. But unfortunately, we just have this thing where we just, we tend not to question or historically we haven't questioned. We just look at like glossy pamphlets of blue sky and, you know, trees trees growing and, oh, here's our product, you know, we aspire to this. But by the, by the way, you know, we're full of phenolic resin or urea phenolite. And don't worry about it, you make a house out of it. I go, I scratch my head at times and go, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> now, the, the 
the panel does have a huge amount of benefits and you've been talking about obviously the I can see how sustainable it is there's also of course acoustic benefits there's thermal benefits I've seen great footage of you guys holding blow torches to it to show how fire retardant it is as well uh, and how durable it is there's a great um, a great footage of it being hit with a sledgehammer and you know uh, and then also it being recyclable, biodegradable, and then the um, the ability that it has to improve indoor air quality as well. Um, can we? Can you touch on some of those benefits, particularly around? I think the acoustic, the thermal. We'll we'll dive into the thermal properties of it in a bit more detail sure. later. Yeah. But definitely the acoustic, because I know that you actually sell kits for sound studios, yeah. uh, and also how because I can imagine a lot of people go well if it's just compressed straw how could, how's it going to have a hard surface on it like plasterboard wood or you know that kind of thing how is it and how's it going to be fire retardant so can you talk through a few of those things so that people understand the benefits sure. of the material yeah um well fire fire resistance is a really important thing um, characteristics of materials and fire is the front of mind for everybody i think i, I you know the, the, especially with the way climates are changing globally and we see what's happening on everywhere um, and human beings have to exist in nature and in shelter of some description. And you know, we, we've moved out of caves, and you know, in the past, caves would have protected us, you know, but we're building shelters and we're going, Well, okay, how's this going to protect us? And you look at something in material as a material, there's two elements to it very important, both go, both go together for the successful, uh, you know, uh, bushfire protection. Fire resistance is one thing. The other thing is um, protection again, radiant heat. Radiant heat's a big killer. Like, you know, we get, it's like, you know, unfortunately, when people forget to leave pets in a car or something like that, and, you know, they leave the windows up and radiant heat pouring in, you know, that leads to loss of life. It's a, it's a silent killer. Um, terrible. And um, radiant heat transfer, well, there's two elements radiant heat transfer. And, you know, they think about thermal conductivity, I guess, is what we're talking about there. Now, DuraPanel, because it's, you know, it, so it's 18.5 kilograms per square metre, DuraPanel, as a weight. So it's quite, quite dense, densely compacted. Now, when you're measuring thermal performance, there's two elements. There's an R value. Now, R values with the thermal resistance of a material. And then our values were basically invented to compare one sort of fiberglass insulation back in the 60s and 70s with another fiberglass insulation. They're dependent on thickness. Think of the material, the higher the R value. And that's a measure of resistance of heat transfer, heat resistance. Think about it that way. The other important element is a K value. And that's like thermal conductivity. And that's the amount of time it takes heat to transfer from one side of the material to the other. You might get a huge amount of heat here. And you can think on the of outside. that. Yep. Yeah, on the outside. And that could be a blowtorch, 3,000 degrees. Okay. You can happily put your hand on this side of the panel. On the inside, yep. On the inside, you'll feel nothing. Yep, you'll feel nothing. You'll have, have your hand there, 3,000 this side. You'll feel nothing there for 15 minutes. No, no nothing. I mean, this is all tested, CSIRO tested. Um, 
but that's the nature of the material. It's a bit like a phone book. It's about like a lot of cellulose-based materials, how they behave. When you just densely compressed something like that, it's like if that was hardwood. Hardwood's also really good and resistant in a fire situation because of its density. And we perform in a similar way. We're stopping that going through. If we fire rate our panel-to-panel -panel joint, that's always a weakness in any sort of building. How do you, you fire rate your panel-to-panel -panel joint? Once you've got that handled, then the material itself is what's resistant against fire. Uh, but uh, as I say, this sort of material, whether it be on the outside of the house or the inside of the house, will protect against radiant heat transfer. And if you've seen those things on our website, I'll be trying, it's the easiest way to, for people to understand. Once you've got a 3,000 degree, you know, oxyacetylene torch on one side of something, you know, well, hey, it's not, hey, it's not burning. If you look at it, or it's burning super slowly, which is what you want. And it was also self-extinguishing as well. So exactly. Well, that's yeah. because that's because there's no resin binders that are added to it. We're not putting we're not putting any petrochemical-based materials to it. That's the that's the important thing. When you see big fires on TV, big big meat meatworks or you know things like that uh, going up in smoke, in the, and you see the acrid black smoke going up in fire scenario, that's the release of petrochemicals. And, and, and it, again, it's a horrible, you know, it's a silent killer. It's toxicity. Um, and it's why we got, you know, you have to be careful with caravans and things like that. And um, there's a lot of um, plastics and you know, petrochemical-based materials in there. If you put an oxyacetylene torch, you try to burn a, a piece of this, you don't see any acrid black smoke anywhere. It's white. Okay. You know, all, all I mean, all smoke is, is, is not good but some is a whole lot worse than others. Yeah. And the durability in terms of its actual, you know, like when that footage that you've got on your website of it being smashed with a sledgehammer, um, how is that just because of that 18.5 um, kilograms of density per square metre, the, the the rigidity of the surface? How's that How's that working? Well, when the panel's manufactured, it's like it's one point, say, nominal 1.2 metres wide coming down, it, it, the panel is manufactured across its width, okay? And in, in essence, it's a series of small beams, okay, that are, that are about 12 millimetres wide by 50 millimetres deep. We're pushing straw in, bang, 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 through a huge reciprocating round. And a bit like an old steam engine when you see it, which I'll have to get you up there to see it. <laughs> but but it, it, it's good to see. Okay. And, and when it's, it's forcing it in, and it's a beam, and it's spanning across its width, not its length, its width, and that's where the strength comes in. Now, the fact that we're laminating this liner to it, top and bottom, it's creating a stressed skin on both faces. That's basically that those two elements combined with that matrix that we're fusing together with the lignin, that's what's giving it its strength. Gotcha. And, I mean, and and yeah, I mean, you can hit it with with a hammer. He can punch it and hit it. I mean, we use the product a lot in in areas of you know like industry. Like I say, historically, most of our work had been commercial, industrial. Back when we had an automotive industry, you know, um, they loved using our product there because you it would resist knocks, abrasions, and things like that. Um, uh, school halls, you want to kick a basketball into it or football into it or, you know, ball games, you, you, you won't 
it'll just bounce back. It won't hurt it. You know? um, if you want to, yeah. It's funny because you think it's paper on the outside. People just naturally assume that the paper will tear. You know, like it, it's it's this there's this perception with the materials that are gone into it that the fact that it's straw that perhaps it would have um i don't know divots and things like that in the surface of it but it's clear with the technology that you're using to make it when you talk about it being rammed in in 12 millimeter thick sections at that 50 millimeter deep i can imagine and particularly the level of you know pressure that it's going under as it goes through those that compaction process the density of it just must be extraordinary in terms of how it's actually um, being condensed into that very tight time frame to create that smoother surface with the and then with the paper over the top of yeah. it being, as you said, that stress sort of that tensile um, finish on it. Yeah. Well, you see, if you support the panel around its long edges, say, let's say it's a 2.4 by 1.2 panel, if you support the long edges of the panel, like just by 25 millimetres around the perimeter, so it's 1.2 wide, say nominal 2.4 long, you can load the panel up over two tons. Right. That's okay. Two thousand kilograms. Okay. Now that makes it ideal as a walkable ceiling system. So from so for the last eighteen years, we've had a, a procurement agreement with a huge multinational where we export Jura panel. And Jura steel section. So the Jura steel sections are like a big, they have a big grid that the Jura panel drops into. And we've been supplying walkable ceiling systems, 20,000, 40,000 square meter systems all over the world over the last 18 years. There's, there's multinational. And, uh, you know, and that's stood the test of time. And, and, and they want it because of its safety. And they also have a very robust sustainability policy where at the end of the life of those panels, they know that they can be biodegraded back into the earth where they come from. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? That, that, that material will actually just break down completely and not be something that um, is going to fill up a landfill hole. Uh, Cause it's rare that that can actually happen with a lot of the building materials that we use. So I think that's really um, an amazing, um, and I know that that was one of the things that Yoast really prioritised when he was doing future food systems, that everything had to be recyclable at the end of its life. So the the other one was that I wanted to touch on was the acoustic performance of it. So you do um, on your website, you have uh, uh, the ability to buy kits for sound studios and things like that. How does inter- the density is obviously playing into its ability to be an acoustic barrier. Is there anything else that sort of helps and supports that? Yeah, well, the interesting thing with it, well, there's two things in acoustics. One's transmission loss, okay, and that's the transfer of sound from one side to the other. So it's stopping breakout noise control. So, like, you know, you might have a, you know, like a separation wall for from one side in industry or residentially where you might have a TV room or something or a band room or whatever you're doing. You just want to stop noise going through. Now, we do a lot of work, like, you know, Wontaggy desalination plant is all covered with Jura. It's 40,000 square metre project we supply because they didn't want, because there's no background noise levels around Wontaggy. It's very quiet at night, of course, and it's quite noisy when you're doing desalination. And this is all used as an acoustic diaphragm all over the top of that building. And that's why we, this is acoustic diaphragms over airports, industry generally stop it at breakout noise. The material itself, why it works so well, 
is because we don't have any glues or binders in the panel core. Is it like naturally occurring damping properties within the panel? So that when you've got a sound wave that's hitting this, it's basically converting that wave energy through kinetic energy to reduce sound wave from one side to the other side. Gotcha. So it's it's a naturally sound deadening material. Okay, that's with transfer through. But the panel just on its own also has an echo stopping characteristic. And so, and that's measured in noise reduction coefficients. Okay, the higher the number, the better the performance. That has a noise reduction coefficient on its own of 0.13. Now, it doesn't sound too much, but that's basically saying, you know, for, to simplify it, that's saying 13%, 13% of sound energy that's going to that is sort of absorbed into the panel rather than being reflected, which is pretty cool, you know. And you feel it when you walk into a, a, a room made of Duraband. You, you'll feel it. You know, it's, oh, you know, speech is good. Okay, it's not, not bouncing back to me. <laughs> you know, but um, you know, but we 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 also use things like we'll face it with different materials when we're doing commercial industrial work and things like that. We might say, well, we want to reduce. You know, we want to completely dead. We might want fifty percent of sound absorbed. Well, okay, in that case, we. Laminate our panel with something like a plywood material, and then we'll perforate into the panel, and then we got a noise reduction coefficient of a panel of uh, 0.49. We sort of tend to work with acoustic consultants, and we tend to work with most of them um, over the years. And we sort of give them, we might put a uh, any sort of material on here just to meet the amount of absorption that. Um, the uh, venue might require. In a residential application, I can see people who live in urban locations or perhaps near rail lines and those kinds of things. And I get a lot of questions from homeowners who even just, um, they have very musical kids or um, a musical family. Um, we've got a few members in our uh, in home method that um, they will regularly have friends over to have jam sessions and things like that. And they're very sensitive to the fact that their neighbours might not be wanting to listen in on that all the time. So they're considering what can they put into their home. And a lot of acoustic solutions that are offered in the residential marketplace are pretty kind of next level and do end up being something that doesn't necessarily feel very residential in its application. Whereas I can see that if you can use a material that already has these properties and is is uh, performing like that anyway, then um, it can really uh, up the ante on that acoustic benefit overall. So, um, which yeah, really excites me. And and as I, you know, I've said a couple of times, I encourage listeners to check out the Dura Panel website because you can if you've if you've been you know wanting to create some kind of sound studio at home or something like that, you can purchase sound studio kits from you that go together in this panelized system very simply. So um, that can be a way to think about it as well. So the indoor air quality one is one that I just wanted to touch on before we move on to talking more about the how the product gets supplied um, in sizes. I know that, um, I mean, being all natural, of course, it's going to have um, fantastic properties in terms of no VOCs and um, those kinds of things or low VOCs. But the the thing that um, interested me particularly was um, 
Yost Backer putting biochar through the straw as part of an effort, I suppose. Was he intending to do that to be able to absorb some of the, um, you know, polluters that might be in the the air because he was in that Fed, Fed Square location? Can you talk more about sort of what you know about that? Because I know when we chatted before, um, uh, jumping on here, obviously, you haven't had the opportunity to test that um, with with um, actual well, not data, but, you know, like actually get it sort of all documented up. But can you talk a little bit more? I just, I actually really love the idea that it was something that because it's being made by you guys in a local scenario that you could, it was something that he could just do and say, hey, hey why don't we give this a shot? So. Yeah. Look, I love Yost, what Yost does. He's fantastic. I mean, he, he just goes out and does it. You know, and I like to think that we're a bit the same way. We'll have a, we'll pretty much have a go at anything like a, you know, someone comes to us and says, well, can you make disaster relief housing? Yeah, we'll have a go. You know, can we do it? I don't know, but we'll have a go. And uh, I admire people like Ghost, uh, what he stands for. And uh, I think, uh, you know, and people resonate really well with his attitude and the way he presents it. It's uh, fantastic. And I take my hat off to him. Yeah, he came, Ghost came, I've known him for years and he supported our product or what it does. And he's, you know, he said, so sometimes I go, it's, a little bit difficult dealing and building and not super practical. Sometimes you can build easily with straw bales. Sometimes you can't. He said, Derek, I love what you're doing. You've got an engineered biomass core. You know, this is like, you know, straw bales on steroids. You know, all the desirable properties of straw bale, but it, hey, it's a bit more user-friendly for construction. You know, so, okay. And we got talking about biochar and he's talking about it. He said, do you think you could put biochar into your process, Derek? I don't know, <laughs> but we'll certainly give it a crack. So, first of all, we had to figure out how to get it, and um, yeah, we worked with Joost and we came up with Chap uh, Russell Burnett, and uh, he uh, arranged for us to get some biochar and uh, put it into our production line. Unfortunately, with the way our production line is, there's a couple of stages within it where we can apply measured quantities of biochar. I'm not sure if your listeners understand the podcast, but what biochar is, but uh, you know, basically it's, it's such a super porous open material that you get a gram of biochar. In theory, you could you know, spread it over a tennis court or a number of tennis courts or something in surface area. So it's a really interesting material, fascinating. Anyway, yes, we can. To cut a long story short. And um, it altered the physical characteristic of a product in a very positive way, which, which blew my mind. Um, we, we to, and to be brutally honest, we, we're working with people to try and understand it better. It's certainly not whatever we do. It's never going to be a harmful thing. It's only a beneficial thing as far as its performance level and what it can do for our product and uh, where it's going to take us in the future. Uh, we've got to come to market with something that's absolutely evidence-based and supported so that we can measure the benefit. But everything all I can say to you, Amelia, at the moment is that, you know, and I don't like talking loosely about such things, but it's certainly exciting and positive um, in respect to, in theory, what it will do. Um, the characteristics of biochar are proven more so in Europe, and they've been using it for years and to move, remove toxins from the air and to improve indoor air quality. Uh, as far as taking toxins out of the air. Um, if we could get that to work in our panel, 
hey, that's good. I think it's really exciting. And I know that there's a lot of adventurous people in the undercover architect community. So it's why I wanted to bring it up because I think it's, um, this is one of these things where I find that so often these things will feel like such outliers um, in, in an industry until they become part of more people actually understand that not only do they exist, but they could be applied in a in an application such as this. And then sort of the wheels start turning on it just being part of more questioning, more conversations, um, people having it on their radar. So, and I, yeah, I think Yoast has just been incredible at really um, igniting a lot of these kinds of sparks in the industry and being willing to put um, put his own money, obviously, behind testing theories and testing ideas and um, and and creating these demonstration projects, which is really fantastic. So now I want to dive into the practical kind of stuff. So the, the nuts and bolts of how people go about actually using this in their projects. You know, Undercover Architects community is, um, is largely residential applications. So and you've got you've mentioned um, the that it's used for those trafficable ceilings. You do wall panels, obviously. So um, I, I got a lot of questions when I was asking my community about you know what what would you want to know from Jira Panel, um, and people were saying, do you do a flooring product? The fact that you do a trafficable ceiling product, I'm wondering if it can be used in a floor application. So, can if you just talk through? At, what sizes the panels come in, how it gets installed uh, in terms of cutting it to size um, on site versus it being made to measure at your factory. Uh, what else is there? I also wanted to talk about um, just understanding, I think, just that general application, if somebody's going to bring it into their home, how they think about it, what it might be substituting for and how it can work overall. Yeah. Well, Jura panel can be thought of as a material on its own just used as a material. Uh, it, it could be used to think about it as chipboard. How can you buy a piece of chipboard? You can cut it, you can cut your own. You can put a piece of chipboard on a wall, you can put it on a ceiling, you can put it on a floor, put it where you want it. No difference with your own. Okay. The only thing with it is you've got to support the long edges of the panel. It, you know, it, it, as far as deflection goes, it can be used as a floor. There's not a problem with that. The panel length is variable. The panel width is 1187 millimeters, 1187, extruded off our machine. Now, the reason it's that measurement, just so people can understand why, <laughs> is when we combine Jura panel with Jura steel sections, which are like a purling with the bottom T flame, so that's what we do our big commercial industrial work, that all works on a 1200 millimeter grid. Gotcha. So the 1187 millimeter Jura panel will drop into that grid, okay, and that produces a you know a system and 1200 millimeter works well with the way windows line up and everything else lines up in construction. So we can make the panel a 1200, like you know, Imperial, and if we would have uh, machined into a you know the US or somewhere else, okay, we make Imperial with the panel. We we can do that. But in Australia, we make it 1187 kilometres. Okay. But the panel can be used in a ceiling system um, with Jura steel sections, put it on a building. Uh, so that means that uh, the ceiling system can span depending on the beam size. I make different size beams depending on the span, generally simple span. We can span right up to uh, 11 metres, clear span. Yep. How thick is the panel? Panel's 50 millimetres thickness. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, you know, our offices here are all just a big suspended ceiling of different panels. The exposed T flanges can be powder coated finish to match the Dura uh, panel, which can be a painted finish or whatever people want to do with it. Um, so, that, I mean, that's a, yeah, basically a ceiling system. I mean, historically, when we used to have Oregon rafters, I'm going back when I was a young fellow now, we used to put Oregon rafters into, uh, you know, back in the old days, merchant builders were doing all the homes during the, uh, in the sand belt around the Sandringham by Morris area. They put the Jura panel on the top of the Oregon rafters, which back then used to be about 50 to 75 mil thick. And then they put, uh, that was your ceiling, that was your insulation before, you know, fiberglass and polyester and all these insulation materials were everywhere, you know, back in those early days. You know, we were just starting to understand extra insulation materials, what they could do. Then at right angles, we'd put timber battens and then a metal roof deck over the top. So that was a, you know, would be timber and durable. So timber can work either way, you know, with timber or steel. One of the earliest people to use Durapal when it first came into Australia, residential housing, was Peter McIntyre. You know, I used to call on Peter McIntyre when I was a young bloke too, you know, and uh, down at Butterfly House, which is now Heritage Listed. And um, he's got Durapanel. You go, you can go in Peter's place today and have a look at it in the walls and the ceilings. His whole place was used Durapanel. Back then, Strummit Board, as good as the day that it was put in. That's over 70 years old now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know Peter won't mind you mentioning that. <laughs> um, but they can be used pretty much anywhere, you know, like, I think the important thing in residential housing, it's, it, it's you've got to consider thermal comfort and not to consider one building element on its own. I, so I see the value of Durapanel in residential housing as far as, being okay, fire, okay, sure, it's good with fire resistant protection against radiant heat, but Durapanel acts like a buffering medium. Okay? So if you create a box with your Durapanel, the Durapanel has got great thermal conductivity properties. So that means it's very slow for heat or cold to pass through. This is really important because that way you're going to lose, use less energy to heat or cool your home. Because once it's cool, it tends to stay cool. It just doesn't, you don't lose it through your, through your envelope. And that's a K value in, in thermal. You're probably you guys aware of that. So Jura panel has a K value of 0.081 watts per meter K, which is why you can hold an oxyacetylene torch on one side of it and you feel no heat transfer on the other. Gotcha. So yep. when you're building your home, you know, it's a really smart way to do it is to make a box out of your Jura panel because it's going to, you know, in our climate zone here, we have extremes of heat and cold and we can get that, you know, in one day. So, you know, I know my own home, so, you know, test bed, I've used a Jura panel. Uh, <laughs> and it was in a, a, a holiday place, it's a small farmlet in the Stress Leckies. And we get, oh, you know, extremes of heat and cold. Oh, we've got some, uh, just a you know, open fire heater. Once the house is warm, it stays warm. You get up in the morning, it's still sitting there at around, you know, it's only changed five degrees. You know, it's been sitting at 19 to 20. Get up in the morning, it's still around the 16 degree mark, quite comfortable to get up. You don't, you know, it evens out your day night temperatures. So, um, how you can use it in housing? Well, okay. Perimeters, internal walls, 
You're telling me that it's it's self-supporting to a certain height that you don't if you're using it as internal walls and it doesn't need to be load bearing you can it's self-supporting you don't need to put it on a frame what was the height of that again in terms of how that can work it's self-supporting and non-load bearing okay now for an internal wall in a home i would put my, my, you can stand one dura panel up on its own to a height of nothing greater than 2.4 meters because then it starts to flex because it's a beam mm -hmm. okay but what people are doing is they're just putting two dura panels together two 50 millimeter dura panels okay so it's not no different really to your normal stud wall it's you know, 110 120 mil thick so you get your two dura panels put them together it's strong it's solid it feels like a stud wall you wouldn't know the difference if you want to put your electricals in it then I separate the two, so there's a small cavity. Okay, so you just put a space of timber between it, so you create a 40 mil void, then you can run electrical, whatever you want to put through it. Um, wiring, things like that. Well, I think it's not going to be long till we have um, switching that's all Wi-Fi. I think that's where things are going to go. I mean, that's a sensible way of approaching things as well. Um, GPOs and things like that, try to locate them if you're building with Durapanel and external walls. And then in your internal, I would put two Jira panels together. Uh, generally, that's my recommendation to about it. I mean, you're creating thermal zones in your home. Okay? You divide it up into areas and keep one area warmer than another area because you've got that conductivity thing working for you. So, yeah, it's just once understanding the product, it's not difficult to work with. I hope that that first part of my conversation with Derek was useful for you in learning more about DuraPanel, how it's made and how you can work with it. I absolutely love the fact that it's utilising a product that would ordinarily get burned and produce carbon to instead create a fantastic and functional building product with so many applications and benefits. Now, just before we recorded this interview, DuraPanel was actually announced as a finalist in the Victorian Premier's Sustainability Awards, and it's going to be really exciting to see how they go. I wish them well. Join me for part two of this interview on the next episode. We're going to dive into the huge range of finishes that you can actually get your panel in. So not just the craft paper, but it does come in other finishes as well, which means that you've got loads of applications that you can actually uh, use it in your home. You know, there's other options that may be interesting to you if you're looking for an alternative to plasterboard and and wanting to work with something that's more sustainable, more acoustically beneficial and more durable as well. And we're going to talk through as well some of the other things to be aware if you're consider, considering specifying DuraPanel. And of course, we're going to discuss costs and how you can access it wherever you're located. So if you're listening overseas, DuraPanel do export their product overseas. So you can learn more about how they're doing that as well. Now, I've got a free downloadable transcript of this episode, all the links that you need heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 250. I've got links there to DuraPanel's website and its resources. And I'd love to see you again or, or have you listen in on part two of my conversation with Derek, which will be in the next episode. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. <laughs>